that God has called me to. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter number six. There's kind of been like a current theme this morning with the songs and even Pastor Jack coming up to uh, kind of share what he had uh, that in life, a lot of times I've heard someone say it like this, you're either in a storm, you're about to go into a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Does anybody ever seem like it's almost kind of that way? But in the middle of the storm, there is a shelter. And there is a refuge. And there is a safe place. As Pastor Jack said, there is a pavilion in the problem. Aren't you thankful that we can take a moment on Sunday morning and say, God, in spite of everything that's going on, we're going to be in the canopy of your presence. And I just feel like when I get into his presence that everything is just going to be okay. Amen. And so in Hebrews chapter 6, there's a particular verse that I love to read. It's about God making a promise to Abraham. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Abraham, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and oath for confirmation is to them of all strife, wherein God, who was willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, and he confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, everybody say it's impossible. God does have an impossibility. It's impossible for God to lie. Some of you need to take that Store it away into your spirit and say, you know what? Everything that God's ever promised me, if it hasn't happened yet, it's impossible for him to lie. So I know it's going to happen. And I'm not going to release a promise that hasn't happened yet. I don't care how much the enemy's in my ear telling me my child may never come back. My spouse may never come back. I'm holding on to the promise of God. He said, it's impossible for God to lie. And he said, that we may have a strong consolation that we can flee for refuge to lay hold on the hope. Everybody say the hope. The hope that is set before us. Which hope, he says. The hope that God cannot lie. That's what we anchor ourselves to. He said, we have this as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. That word steadfast is asphalt. where we get our English word asphalt. He said, it's as sure as the asphalt that we drive on which entered into the veil. Everybody say hope. He said, we have a hope that God cannot lie to us, and that hope is our anchor. So for the next few moments, I want to preach very simple. There is still hope because he said he would. I know you're seated, but if you can just lift your hands right now. And before we get into the word, I want you to lift your voice. And I just want to encourage someone that God is able to touch any need. He's able to touch anybody. There is no situation too large or too small. There is no situation that you feel like is insignificant that he cannot touch. But I want you to vocalize your need right now. I believe there's power in our voices. And I just want you to vocalize to Jesus what it is you need today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have come into your presence yet again. But God, I pray that we 
would destroy, God, every notion of what we try to conceive what happened today. God, I pray that faith would be in this place today, Jesus, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. I come against any opposition in the name of the Lord. And I pray that your word would find a place to take root, God, and produce fruit in our lives. God, I pray, God, that your spirit would move into this place today. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone say hope. For as long as I can remember, since I was big enough to walk, I've always enjoyed playing sports. I remember being just a young toddler having the little basketball goal that you put water in and the little plastic rim, and I would sit there for hours and shoot. And so as I grew up, I always played sports. And I was the kind of person, Pastor Jack, that it didn't matter how lopsided the score was, I thought we still had a chance. It didn't matter that if we were playing football, if we were down by four or five touchdowns and it was the fourth quarter and the game was almost over, I would go to my team and I would say, look, if we can just get a touchdown and we can get five onside kicks and score every time, we can win this game. There's something about me that I've just always been an optimistic person. I can remember playing Little League basketball and we would be getting destroyed and I would just go to my teammates and I'd say, it's not over. We can do this. We can come back. If someone can just hit 10 or 15 three-pointers in a row, we can still win this game. It's hard for me to accept defeat because I just always feel like we've got a chance. We've got a chance. We've got a chance. I've always as I can remember, been a very hopeful person. My wife teases me at times because she said, you can find the good in anything. And I said, babe, life is too short to be negative. But I've always believed in hope. That is why I love to read the stories of the survivor of the Holocaust. To Moses is a story of the highest degree of hatred and murder, and I do agree, but when you begin to read the memoirs of those who made it out of that unimaginable situation, we are reminded of the fortitude of humanity that they endured what possibly we may never endure, yet somehow they managed to maintain their hope. In 2018, I was privileged to travel to Washington, D.C. to the Holocaust Museum, and it was indeed a sobering experience, but I also learned about some of the most resilient people in the world. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, between 1942 and 1945, he endured four Nazi concentration camps. During this time, he saw his parents, his brother, and his pregnant wife all perish. But Viktor Frankl managed to survive this awful hardship and would go on to write his memoir, Man's Search for Meaning. I often find myself gleaning and being strengthened by his resolve. Mr. Victor writes, and I quote, the main question to consider when addressing these Nazi camps is not why did so many people perish, but why did anyone survive at all? He said, the answer is hope. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. He says, I choose hope. Someone say hope. 
There's a medical doctor by the name of Dale Archer, and he said, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any depressant on the market. He said, hope is often the thing between man and the abyss. As long, he said, as a patient or an individual can maintain hope, they can recover from almost anything and everything. He said, one thing I can tell you is that hope is an emotion that springs from the heart, not the brain. He said, hope lays dormant until its amazing strength is beckoned, supplying a sure belief that you will overcome, that you will persevere, and that you will endure anything and everything that comes your way. He said, hope is the belief that circumstances will get better. It's not a wish for them to. Hope is a determination that is fastened to a belief that says, I know that everything is going to work out. Hope, everybody say hope. Our Bible that we cherish so dearly mentions the word hope 130 times in 121 different verses. The first mention is found in Ruth chapter 1 and the last in verse John chapter 2. And what's interesting to me is the book of Job mentions hope the most second only to the book of Psalms. And it doesn't seem plausible to me that the book of Job would be so laced with hope. After all, it was Job who lost all of his children, all of his material possessions. Everything that he worked for, gone in a moment. He lost his health somehow in the ashes of everything that he lost. Somehow this man was able to maintain hope. Even his wife approached him thinking he had lost his mind, but Job somehow fastened himself to the hope. He said, I don't understand why my situation is happening the way it is. I cannot explain why I've lost people that were precious to me. I cannot comprehend why I have to walk outside and see rubble and remnants of what used to be beautiful possessions. I don't know why I'm going through this storm. I don't know why I'm suffering this attack, but something I must hold on to in the midst of everything I'm losing. I cannot afford to lose my hope. Job was a man that endured possibly what no one since has endured, but somehow managed to maintain hope. And upon studying and praying and searching for answers, I said, God, how? How was Job able to maintain his hope? And it's interesting to me that before the storm and before he lost everything, we know that he had children, but we are never privy to their names. But after the storm, the Bible says that God gave him double for his trouble. God was able to make up for what he lost. And the Bible says in Job chapter 42, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Can I tell you that God is powerful enough to give us more than we ever dreamed? The enemy may make us believe that we've lost everything, but I serve a God who can take it back and give us more. And watch what the scripture says in verse number 13. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And for the first time, we are made known to the names of Job's children. He said, and the first was named Jemima. And upon studying this, I found that that name in the original text means day by 
day and God spoke to me and said the only way sometimes you're going to make it through life is you must learn to take it day by day I don't know what Monday holds I don't know what Tuesday holds all I know is Sunday I'm in the presence of God and I've just got to trust that he's going to lead me and guide I just want to help someone. That's why Moses would write that as thy days are, so shall thy strength be. We were never meant to live in the future. That is only a place that God knows what's going to happen. And as cliche as it may sound, we must rest on the revelation that I may not know what tomorrow holds. But I know who holds tomorrow. And that's how the enemy causes us to worry. Because he drags our mind into a place that we're not supposed to live. He tries to drag our mind into the future. But that's what Jesus said in the New Testament. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow would take thought of itself sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And in other words, all you have to focus on is the present. I know some of you right now are in the storm of your life. And you say, how am I going to make it out? Day by day. Charles Booth said, there are no hopeless situations. Only people that have grown hopeless. But we must relish today with hope that Jesus is going to take care of us. We cannot allow the plague of hopelessness to grip our hearts. No matter how dark it gets. No matter how hard it gets. I understand the pain is real. I am not minimizing what you are going through. I understand the hurt is real. I understand the sorrow is real. I understand all of that. But yet in spite of everything, the one thing we cannot allow the enemy to take from us is our hope. David said, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope, because thou will hear me, O my Lord. And then in Psalm chapter 71, he said, thou art my hope, O Lord God, and I've been trusting you from my youth. I want to know, are there any elders in the building that can testify that I've served God for a long time and I've never seen him fail? Would you wave your hand if you have that testimony? Come on, I want somebody to know you are not going to be the first person that Jesus fails. He has a perfect track record. He is faithful. He's not going to let you down. He's always going to be there for you. In a large city, there was a school system who developed a program where teachers would visit students in the hospital so that they wouldn't fall behind in school. And in this program, there was this teacher who was assigned to this one particular student who was in the hospital. So she went to the student's main teacher and said, what would you like me to teach him about? And she said, I would like for you to teach him about nouns and adverbs. He said, that way he doesn't fall behind. And so this teacher who was assigned to visit him in the hospital made her way to the hospital. She made her way to the desk. And she said, I'm here to see. And she named the student's name. And they said, he's in this room number. And when she walked in, he said, hey. She said, I wasn't ready for what I was going to see. She said, the young man was burned so badly. I wasn't prepared for the visual that I was about to endure. But she began to talk to him. And she said, I'm here to teach you about nouns and adverbs. And she stumbled her way through the lesson. And she left feeling like she had not made a difference. 
she walked out and went home and the next day she came back and upon arriving to the hospital the, the lady at the desk said what did you do to that young man yesterday and the teacher who felt as if she was a failure said I am so sorry I was trying to teach the best I could but I could not anticipate the horror that I was going to see she said no you don't understand she said for months he has not been responding to treatment it is as if he does not want to live but ever since you left yesterday something has changed and when she went into the room and she tried to talk to that young student, he looked at her and said, he said, I believe that I can live again. He said, because I know they would not send a teacher to teach a dying boy about nouns and adverbs. And I want you to hear me today, church. I didn't come with nouns and adverbs, but I did come with a word from the Lord to let you know that Jesus is with you in the middle of this storm. You are not alone. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Your family's going to make it. Your church is going to make it. I want somebody to throw your hands in the air and I want you to say, Jesus, I still have hope. Come on, I want you to shout it again. The enemy's trying to tell you that your kids will never be here, that your spouse will never be here, but there is still hope. That's why Limitation chapter 3 said, This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. He said, it's upon this thinking that brings me hope. What thinking? That it is of the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. In other words, if his mercy can keep me, then his mercy is going to take me all the way. I'm thinking about mercy today. How it brought me through the storm. How it brought me through the desert. He said, therefore, in the midst of all his lamenting, in the midst of all his complaining, the writer had to stop and say, I know I'm complaining a lot right now, but there's one thing that I think about, and it brings me hope, and that is that it's of the Lord's mercies, that I am not consumed, watch this, because his compassions fail not, and they are made new every morning. Mercy has a mission today to give someone a fresh baptism of hope. Hope in spite of everything that's going on. Hope in spite of the bad report. Come on, hope in spite of the trouble. There is hope. I want someone as loud as you can to shout hope. hope. Abraham and Sarah were in the upper ages of their life. 90 years of age and up. And God had the audacity to tell those people, you're going to have a son. Seems like God may have missed his prime opportunity for two people to have a child. But Abraham and Sarah had a promise. Has God ever made anyone a promise? Whether it's through prayer, through his word, through Pastor Raymond, Pastor Jack, come on. If you believe in the promises of God, I just want you to wave a little bit. God is so faithful. So Abraham has this promise. Prayers are not being answered. The promise seems to be a false hope. But watch what Paul wrote about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. 
He said, Abraham, who had this promise of a child. In Romans 4, 18, he said, who against hope believed in hope. Someone that had no reason to hope still somehow with his back against the wall with it seemed like a promise that would never happen he said I have no reason to hope but I still do can I tell you that plagues the enemy because he thinks you have no reason to worship you have no reason to be faithful after everything you've been through you're still at CCC you're still worshiping you're still giving and it confuses the enemy every time you march in and say, in spite of the hell, Jesus, you are great, and I worship you. I'm looking at people right now that if the devil could tell your story, you have no reason to be here, but you say against hope. We are still here. He said against hope. He believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham didn't lose it. Abraham said, I know it doesn't make sense. I'm too old for a son. I'm way too old for a son. My wife is too old for a son. We have no reason to hope, but yet we're still hoping. And I'm looking at people today that you may feel like you have no reason to hope, but yet somehow I see the glimmer of hope. The sparkle is almost faded, but it's still in your eye. And life has beat you up. And the enemy thought you were dead. And he thought that last storm would destroy you. But you came in here this morning. You may have barely made it through the door, but that's okay. You're here. And you say, I don't know why, but I'm just going to stand and worship. I know you're doing it in the middle of the sermon. I want you to know before we leave today, God is going to come to your rescue. The Bible over 8,600 8, times says he's the God of, fill in the blank, he's the God of Abraham, he's the God of the earth. But in Romans 15 says, now the God of hope. Everybody say hope. Watch this, now the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace. Peace is something that's always plagued me because the scripture really is true that Jesus can give you peace that passeth all understanding. That means you'll have peace in a time where you shouldn't have peace. And I've watched people in my local church and I've watched people in the church in general go through the hardest things I've ever seen a human go through, but somehow they still maintain a peace. That's beyond my understanding. But Paul said, now the God of hope will fill you with all joy in believing that you may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. There is something about the Spirit of God that possesses the mindset that it's not over. Can I tell you there's just something about the Holy Ghost that will not accept defeat? There's something intrinsically woven into the Spirit of God that says it's not over. I still believe. I still have faith. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to give. I'm still going to worship. There's something about the Spirit that is connected to hope. It's like the little kid that's so naive that just believes we're going to win. That's how the spirit is. That's what you feel every Sunday morning when you don't feel like getting out of the bed. That's the spirit said, come on. 
come on, you got hope today. It's going to give you hope on Monday when you don't feel like going to your job. That's the spirit. Something about the spirit of God gives us hope. That's the story of the Bible, the prevailing power of hope. We become possessors of the spirit. It bursts in us a flame of hope that life keeps trying to put out, but somehow it's still flickering. And I believe the two greatest advocates of hope, number one is God's spirit. Number two is God's word. We read it a moment ago, but I'm gonna read it again. Who against hope? Romans chapter four. Abraham believed that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. When everything in his life seemed like it did not look like God was going to do it, Abraham said, the only thing I can hold on to is that which he spoke to me. Because Hebrews told us, and we read it in our opening text, that it is impossible for God to lie. That once he speaks it, there is a covenant relationship between him and his word that he will never break. And the writer of Hebrews said, he said, that hope, the hope that we have, that God won't lie to us, he said, that hope is an anchor for our soul. I want someone to lift your hands right now and just thank God for an anchor in the midst of the storm. Come on, CCC, would you lift your voice for a moment? Thank you, God, for the anchor. Paul said, the hope we have, it's an anchor for our soul. Our hope is our anchor. And the reason we have this hope is because it's based on a sheer foundation that God cannot lie. Paul stated that our anchor is what holds us and helps us. If you've ever been in a boat in the middle of the river or the sea, you understand the power of an anchor. An anchor preserves the ship when the waves beat and the wind blows. And as long as the anchor holds, the ship is safe and the mariner apprehends no danger. When life makes us want to give up and the enemy is hoping it's over and the winds and the storms of life are blowing, what he doesn't realize is that his heart as he pushes me I never get off course because the moment I start drifting I can just hold on to the anchor and it can pull me back in the right place because what the enemy can't see is I'm anchored to something that's anchored to something greater than me so as long on as long as I hold on to the rope as long as I hold on to the anchor I'm going to be okay I'm going to make it I'm not going to backslide I'm not going to be lost because I'm anchored And so when you want to drift, you feel the anchor pulling you back. And when you want to get bitter, you feel the anchor pulling you back. And when you want to walk away from God, there's something about the anchor that says, come back to me. Come back to my presence. Come back to my house. My hope is keeping me. My hope is helping me. It's holding me. It doesn't look like it's going to work in my favor, but I'm anchored to this. I don't know why 
I keep repeating this, but I know some of you may have kids that are away from God and you think they're so far away they would never come back. Hold on to the anchor that made you a promise. You may be in a season of uncertainty, but in the season, don't let go of the anchor. It'll steady you. It'll stabilize you. We are building our lives on the promises of God. And because his word is unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. We do not stand upon the problems and the waves of pain in this life. We stand on the great and precious promises that they are sure. The reality that God cannot lie is what's going to save me in this storm. And with every anchor, there is a rope. For the anchor is useless without a rope. For the rope connects that's what needs to be anchored to the anchor. And the anchor connects to the foundation. A rope attaches to the anchor, to what it's holding. And today in the spirit, I'm throwing out a rope of hope for someone to fasten yourself to. That you can fasten yourself to the unchanged nature of God that gives you unbroken promises that there is still hope. Alex Sheen. Tells the story of his father. He says, my dad wasn't the hero. He didn't run ultra marathons. I believe they have Alex's picture. He said, he didn't write a book. Second picture, please. He didn't write a book. He said, there was a lot he wasn't. He said, but there was one thing my father was. He was a man of his word. He said he always kept his word. He said, if he told me, Alex, I'm going to be at your lacrosse game at 7, I can look in the stands at 6.59, and he would be there. He said my father was diagnosed with cancer, and he passed about a year after the diagnosis. Alex was asked to give the eulogy, so he stood at his father's funeral, gave the eulogy entitled, Because I Said I Would. There at the funeral, he handed out the promise cards and he told everyone, when you make a promise to someone, you should keep your promise because you said you would. He started a Facebook post and said, I will send anybody a promise card who wants one. He started out by sending five. That grew to 15, then that grew to 500. Then after one year, he had sent over 150,000 promise cards with one simple model because he said he would. And it all stemmed from one understanding that my father always makes good on his promise. And my father is a man of his word. Can I tell CC that Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that our God is the everlasting father? And can I tell you that God has given you a promise card? There's 66 books in here. There's an Old and New Testament. And every word, every crossing of the T, every dotting of the I, the book said, is sure heaven and earth may pass away. But he said not just one ounce of these promises will ever pass away. There is still hope today because Jesus said he would. I'm anchored to the promise of God today. At times, it's been the only thing that kept me in the past nine years. I want everyone to stand, please. Brother Matt, Brother Alex, if you could help me. 
when I was here two years ago, you may have been here, I told the story. Of what to me seems like extreme measures that God would go to reach someone. I'm so thankful that he did. And I had a dream about my family. July of 2010, no one in my family went to church. We never went to church. Certainly never to an apostolic church. In the dream, I could see my family plunging into this lava pit. And in the dream, the Lord spoke to me for the first time in my life that I can remember. He said, Drew, this is going to happen to your family if you don't serve me. But if you serve me, I promise I will reach your family. So I went to church that Sunday, July the 4th, 2010, and I received the Spirit of God for the first time on the left side of an altar. And I started serving the Lord, and I said, God, I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to win as many people as I can, especially I'm going to try to win my family. And so I started out on that journey. And I've seen incredible things that God has done for my family. I don't have time to tell you all the stories, but God has filled several of my family with the Holy Ghost. They're baptized in Jesus' name. There's drug addicts that were in prison that are now part of our church. It's just, God's been so faithful to me, and I'm so thankful. I baptized my mom about three years ago. She comes every service. She's never received the Spirit yet. But she's going to. But in December last year last year was a tough year for my wife and I for our church and for my family it seemed like toward the latter part of the year there was just attack after attack and my wife we were at our student Christmas party and my wife's not an anxious person she's prayerful as I've ever seen it she starts having an anxiety attack because when she was about four or five, she had these seizures that the doctor could not explain, and it almost took her life. Then one night, miraculously, Pastor Woodward, she was five in the back seat of her parents' car driving from the hospital. She started singing, and instantly the Lord healed her. There's always been a special touch of God on her life. But she was feeling oddly ill, and she said, Drew, I don't know what's wrong. I feel bad, but I'm not, like, sick. And so it culminated on that Friday night. She started having this anxiety attack. She said, babe, I felt like I was about to have a seizure. And the enemy tried to remind her of what she used to go through. I said, babe, God healed you. Do not believe the lie that those things are coming back. She went to bed that night, and I went to our living room. I said, God, my wife is the most amazing person I know. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know if there's any cracks in the wall, if there's anything I need to do as a leader of our home. But right now, I'm praying over our home. And I don't know why I went to Luke chapter 8. God led me there. But he told that man, fear not, believe only, she shall be made whole. I started declaring that over my wife. She wanted to go to the doctor. This was Friday night. I said, Babe, can you please make it to Sunday morning? I just believe that God is going to do something. I said, God gave me a word last night to fear not, to believe only, for you shall be made whole. We went to church that Sunday morning. I don't have to tell you the end of the story. We came and got prayed for. Instantly it was gone. She hasn't dealt with it since because God is faithful <laughs> to his word. And what I did know is after God gave me that first, that almost doesn't even seem in context of what I was going through. Fear not, believe only she shall be made whole. One week later, my stepfather called me. 
crying. He's not an emotional man. He said, I need you to get to our house quickly. I said, what's wrong? He said, your mom went to the doctor. She has cancer in her kidneys. I was with my pastor at the time. I said, pastor, I need to get home. I need to go see my mom. And told him what was going on. I got home and got in my car, drove over to their house. I didn't even tell my wife what was going on. I was so paralyzed with fear. And on my way over there, I just kept reminding myself, like Nehemiah, God, don't forget about me. You made me a promise. So I get to the house, and I try to be strong. Try to be a man of my word when I preach. And so I visit with them about two hours. I pray. And I said, Mom, everything's going to be okay. I said, because God's not finished in your life. And I left that house, and I said, Jesus, I do want you to heal her. But more than that, I want you to save her. So whatever it takes, that's what I want. I said, I know this out of life is short, but I want to be able to dance in front of the throne with my mom. So I said, Mom, everything's going to be okay. She came to church that Sunday. My pastor said, Brother Drew, go get your mom. I went to the back and got her, walked her down front. And we went up for prayer and we prayed. The next day, she went to the doctor. The doctor took a scan. He came out and said, Miss Galloway, I have the scan, the first scan that shows your kidneys has these cancerous lumps all in it. Then I have the second scan, and I just want to report to you that they are gone. You do not have cancer. And I celebrate that, but I celebrate this more. She said, Drew, I know that God gave me a miracle, and I'm going to serve him, and I believe this is the year that God is going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you the only thing that kept me during that season when I wanted to walk away is that I fastened myself to the promises of God. I said, God, you made me a promise. God, you made me a promise. I want to walk away, but I'm anchored to the promise. And so today, it may seem a little elementary, but I feel what we're going to do in the physical is what we're going to do in the spiritual. Because the scripture said when the law couldn't do anything, the bringing of a better hope could. And so today, I don't know if there's enough room, but I want everyone to come. And I want you to fasten yourself to this rope. I know it may be a little uncomfortable, but I want everyone to come. If you have a need, if you have a miracle, if you say, I need God to work some things out, I want you to fasten yourself. Stretch the, stretch the rope down the wall. I want everybody to come. I'm about to pray. I want somebody to know it's not impossible for God. It's not impossible for God. Don't give up. The music team can come, if you will. God is about to breathe a fresh wave of hope into someone's life. Some of you, it's been a long time since you've had joy. God's about to give you joy back. 
God's about to eradicate your worry in those sleepless nights and you're not gonna need any more help to go to bed at night because God is about to give you a miracle. If you wanna come, you can form on this side of the rope. There's room. I want everyone who wants to come to come. CCC, I want you to hear me. There is still hope because he said he would. I'm going to anchor myself into the unchanging word of God. I want you to take one hand and put it on the rope and one hand and lift it in the air. Because we're going to pray while we're anchored. I refuse to be unshaken. I refuse to be removed from the anchor. Those of you that are still in the back, would you lift your hands and pray with us? Come on as I pray. I'm going to speak the word of faith again. And when I'm done, I want you to take one hand and fasten to the rope as tight as you can. But with the other hand, lift it as high as you can, but higher than that, I want you to lift your voice. Father, I feel the weight in this in my spirit of what these precious people are going through. I don't know every need, but I know you are the one that can meet the need. So right now in the name of Jesus, upon the authority of your word and the power of the name of Jesus, I declare a fresh baptism of hope that would sweep in this place right now. God, I pray that you would strengthen every elder, every marriage, every young person right now in the name of Jesus. Now someone lift your voice and shout. Come on, that's it, it's not over. It's not over. I still believe. Come on, let God minister to you right now. The angels of the Lord are going to and fro in this place. God's gonna do it. Don't lose hope, CCC. Don't lose hope. Rabaya dalabaya kata, roboya dalabaya. Come on, minister team, would you make your way through the rope and pray? I'm gonna see a victory.